I want you to turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4. We're starting a new series tonight. It'll last for a while. It's kind of an extensive subject. I won't drag it out, but it's one of the most important subjects that any Christian can attempt to master or to learn a lot about, to become learned in. That's the subject of deliverance, the subject of deliverance. The Bible speaks a lot about the dark side of life, the devil, and all the things that the devil does. In fact, you can read most any book of the Bible, and you can see the evidence of the work of the devil there, that which brings people into judgment, people that have turned away from God because of that demonic influence, that sensible turning away, that making sense idea that popped in your mind and you begin to lean that way and you walk away from God, you start making bad decisions, you start making bad choices, you start entertaining wrong things, and then you learn to make excuses for why you did it your way. And the more you do that, the more you open yourself up to the struggles in life you really shouldn't have. And you get bound and you get captured, and eventually the enemy comes in and he takes over in your life, and you are what we call oppressed. You are oppressed. I didn't say you were possessed. A truly possessed person could not function in society if you were possessed. But if you were oppressed, a lot of people are. They're angry. They're moody. They don't know how to get ahead in life. They're always griping, complaining, or melancholy, weeping and sad and sorrowful or envious and critical of other people. All of those things are sin, but you've been trained to act that way. Sin has been a common part of so many people's lives that they think because they went to church and held their hand up or they went forward or got baptized that all of that left, but it didn't. And so the subject of deliverance from not only the effects of your past and the effects of what the devil did, but the residue of all of that stuff, you need to be delivered from it. Remember this, when the unclean spirit, Luke 11, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he seeks rest because these are disembodied spirits now. When they go out of a person, they can't express themselves unless they're in a body. It could be in a pig or an animal, and we know all about wild, crazy animals or wild, crazy people. But these disembodied spirits, when they're gone out of a man, the Bible says they walk through dry places seeking rest and finding none. They go back to the place they used to live and attempt to enter back in again. And if they can, the Bible says, Jesus said, they take seven spirits with them, worse than the original spirit, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it's a very real world out there about what you can't see. And what the Bible describes as evil and ugly, that we often, because we can't see it, we don't take a lot of stock in it, but it's very important. Very early, this subject of deliverance came to us in the little church that we were in. Obviously, we didn't know anything about it. I mean, there's no seminary in the world that knows how to teach this because it just doesn't register with intellectual sense or advanced mental states. But the fact of the matter is that what we learned came from another source outside of our church. And as we begin to search the scriptures, that wonderful working of God we call grace opened our eyes and we begin to see 
things we had never seen before concerning darkness, the devil, and evil and evil spirits. Things that people say, I don't like all that kind of talk. It makes me feel irky. Well, obviously it would. The devil doesn't want you to study it either. He doesn't want you to investigate, not even look at it. He wants you to feel irky so you'll stay away from it. Because the devil works in darkness. He works through ignorance. He likes to be subtle and crafty in, in misleading you and maligning you. There's one word to me that identifies as the work of the devil as much as anything else. It's the word obscurity or obscure. He obscures the word. He makes it dim, not clear, not much light, not having the effect on us that it's supposed to have, and therefore it's not very important. And we walk away from the need for that stuff, figuring that, well, you know, I don't know what they're talking about and so forth. Deliverance is very important. We're not free just because we got saved. Anytime the Bible says your mind must be renewed, it means there's stuff still there that still controls. You were habitually trained like this to think certain ways, to do certain things, to have certain actions and reactions before you came to Christ. You learn to do that. The devil, as I said, he trains you. And once he's gone and you've been delivered, you've been saved, for example, and that leaves, the residue of all that stuff has to be dealt with. And if you don't know how to deal with that, you'll remain as you were, and the Christian life will become a very dismal, uneventful, sadly predictable life, and nothing will ever happen. As I said, the devil fights very hard against learning these things, against teaching on these things, and he just doesn't want to be identified. But once he is brought into light and you see who it is that's been making your life miserable or your parents or has been taking the lives of a lot of innocent people around the world because they were ignorant of his ways, it ought to anger you to where you say, that will never happen to me. That will never happen to me. That God has surely given us authority over him, and he has. Because there is not an area the devil has ever done or wants to do that Jesus has not already defeated him. Already defeated him. And that victory that he has belongs to us. Now, in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, verse 1, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In the wilderness, he faced the devil. And you know the story about it is written three times. Having faced the devil, because he's just been identified as who he is. Remember John the Baptist just baptized him? Remember the voice from heaven and the spirit came down upon him like a dove? And John said, this is he. This is the one who must increase, I must decrease. I am here on this earth for one reason, to announce his coming, and that is him. And from that time on, John the Baptist did decrease. Verse 14 says, when he came away from his temptation, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Now, that's what we need. Do you hear me? That's what we need. We need this right there, the power of the Spirit. Then verse 16, he came to Nazareth, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, and this was his first sermon, and this was his text. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel 
to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now the word deliverance and liberty are the same words. All of these things we're looking at here are things that humankind was in a woeful state. They were bound, they were desperate or brokenhearted, there was no relief, there was no way out, they were held captive by the devil. They were under his sway. And Jesus said, I have come to preach the gospel. That's how it begins to the poor. The recovering of the sight to the blind because they haven't been able to see the truth that will make them free. And to deliverance and to set at liberty those that are bruised. That's what he came to do. Now, the word deliverance means liberation, rescue. There's nothing fancy about the word. It just means to be, really, to be set free. Now, if you're set free just because you got saved, set free in the sense that there's nothing more that can be done to make your life the way it's supposed to be before God, then there's no reason to preach on this subject. But he said he came to do all of these things to rescue or set free or to save us from evil and danger. The message of deliverance also enhances what we call discernment, your ability to discern between good and evil. That's why the word of God becomes a light. You begin to see things you've never seen before, or you begin to see them in a way you've never seen them before. God begins to show you, well, that's the work of the devil. Look how subtle that was, and we fell for that. How could we be so ignorant? Because we've been trained to be ignorant. We have been trained to follow whatever comes over a pulpit from whoever says it. Church has never been a big deal in most people's lives. It's just a thing. It's a socially proper thing that decent people do. It's never been a way of life. We never go here to find out how to live the kind of life that brings God's approval in it. That was never a part of it. Again, we were trained to think like that. We were trained to just exist and do the best you can, and, you know, nobody ever hits a home run in life. You got this, you got sickness, you got disease, and you got poverty, and some people get it and some people don't. That's just the attitude that a lot of people have because they were ignorant. And there's still a verse in the Bible that says, my people, not only are they destroyed for a lack of knowledge, but Isaiah 5.13 says, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. They are bound by ignorance. And yet, sadly, a lot of people who are ignorant of spiritual truth think they know more than they do, and they don't need to be taught. And a lot of people you can't teach. They're very independent. They do what they want to do, and there's not much you can do for them because that's the way the devil has trained people. There's no humility there's not a true, deep, heartfelt surrender to God and a cry for his way to become your way. We just learn to live in life and hope we can add the flavor of God in our life to it and maybe we can just survive and do better than maybe other people do. And there's no victory in that. Jesus came to set us free. Free. I wonder how many people don't know what it means to be free. Free. I mean liberated. Set totally free. 
One dictionary says this about deliverance as it's used in Luke 4, or this is also from Isaiah 61. The work of Christ is designated as deliverance from everything that holds a man prisoner away from God. Anything that keeps you away from God, whatever it is, whatever is keeping you from partaking of what he is offering is what you're being delivered from. It's what God wants you to be set free from. You know, the first commission that Jesus gave to his disciples when he sent them out, the first time he sent disciples out, remember Matthew chapter 10? He sent them out and he said, Go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. That was their commission. That was what he said. This is what the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God comes to people, when the reign of the king comes to people, this is what happens. You cleanse the lepers, you heal the sick, you raise the dead, and you cast out devils or demons, as we would call them. That's the way it works. He said, freely you have received, freely give. That was the first commission. And his last commission at Mark chapter 16 these signs, five supernatural signs, none of them are natural. They can be imitated, but they cannot be what they are unless they are given by the Lord. Five signs. He said, these signs shall follow those who believe. It has been so seldom seen by so many people that a lot of people don't see the significance of this. He said, these signs are going to follow those of you who, by following me, believe me. In my name, they shall, one, cast out devils. Now, if we don't know what a devil is or what a demon is, if we don't know how they work, if we are unawares of that kind of a dark kingdom and how it affects people, we can't. You can't cast out what you don't know what you're casting out. Let me say this because I'm sure I'll repeat this. Deliverance is not a cure-all. People think that the answer to all their problems is to go somewhere, fly somewhere. I know people used to do this, fly somewhere to get somebody of renown to lay hands on them and cast out whatever it is they think they ought to be cast out. Well, I eat too much. Cast this gluttony spirit out of me. Well, why don't you put a knife to your throat? <laughs> Quit eating so much. Of course the devil encourages you to eat so much because he's trying to run you. But you're not made to do that. You can stop that. Doesn't the Bible say resist the devil? Does it say that or not? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. They're demons. That's all they do. These are agents of Satan. All they do, certain classes and categories of spirits, all they do is encourage you to eat or encourage you to drink or encourage you to watch this or act a certain way. You don't have to. You're not made to. You cooperate. You're willingly a participant in doing all of those things. Teaching on deliverance calls your attention to it so you can be delivered from that weakness you have and given into that. Devil has no right to control us. He has no right to control you or ruin your life or your family or your children. He has no right to keep you downtrodden and broke and disappointed and sick all the time. That's the work of the devil. We've been delivered from it. 
unless the person is ignorant of it, doesn't attend, doesn't pay attention, doesn't grasp the nuggets of truth here, and you just let your life go. You can sit in the best church in the world and be the sickest one in there. Or you can take what God has given you and make application of it to your life, and you can shut the door to the devil. I do know what I'm talking about. Now, some things might be somebody's opinion. Now, I've been here. I know how this works. And we have a testimony of how that God has turned our whole life around. Struggles, of course, there's a struggle. The devil doesn't give in to this. You step out that door and you walk into the next step of your life and you say, praise God, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And he's going to challenge you every step of the way. It's one of the reasons for which the devil was created. That's another story. It's somewhat controversial, but somebody's got to test you in this life. Somebody's got to oppose you. How do you know what you believe unless you are in an opportunity that you don't want to do it and it's not convenient to do it, but you've got to do it anyway. You don't know how honest you are until you can lie and get by with it. You don't know how sincere you are until you're tempted. And there's only one tempter that exists. It's a devil. So you see that all of this out there, that's why the Bible says God is greater than he is. No temptation is taken you, but such is this common man. And God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. He'll provide a way of escape so you can bear it, not get rid of it. Because the refiner is doing exactly that. He's refining you, and he uses things of that sort to refine you. But the deliverance that we're talking about here, like he said, these signs shall follow those who believe. They'll cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. Imagine that. They shall take up serpents. And remember, Jesus in Luke chapter 10 gave his disciples authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So scorpions here, it was not talking about little things with a hook on the end of there that poisons you. He's talking about human beings who are as vile as serpents are. He said, I give you authority over those things. And he said, if you drink any deadly thing, and you might need that in days to come, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. These are signs that should follow us. These are things that we should know, learn, earnestly seek after, and this is the kind of testimony that we want in our life. Now, the first question we come with is, why deliverance? Why deliverance? Well, as I've already said, it's because of the baggage of the old life, the things you brought into the kingdom. Again, for 28 years of my life, I learned a lot of things about life. Most of it's wrong. I learned how to be critical, superficial, learned how to lie and cheat and steal. and all. You know, We learned all those things, and because we got by with it, that became a part of our life. Now, the Lord forgave me. Did he not forgive me of all of that? Am I not forgiven? But am I still not inclined to do that? Do you think the inclinations of your old life, you think they left when you came in? Remember this. When you were born again, you became a new creature in Christ. You did not get a new brain. You got a new heart, a new beginning right here. And the problem that this new life has with so many, so many churchy folks, church members, the problem with this new life on the inside is that this mind 
where your will is opposes so much of what God says. Oh, that'll get you talked about. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, how could that be? And the mind naturally questions all of this. Almost everything you bring in the kingdom. The first time I heard about deliverance, the first time. I'm a Christian. I'm a new creature in Christ. And somebody brings this to the table. The first little bit of this, you go, no, now, come on. What are we going to do, find demons in bushes? Well, they were more than just a few of them. In fact, it became a very sobering subject when you realize they were in your own life. When the Bible speaks that somebody had a demon, it doesn't mean, again, they're possessed. It just means that there are traits in their life, their carryovers, usually from the old life, just traits that was their personality. How about religious spirits? Are there such things as religious spirits? And I will describe more of this as we go, but there are religious spirits that people had. A religious spirit can't tolerate any new way of religion unless it incorporates all the old ways, just like the Judaizers. Jesus came to set people free, but oh no, oh no, no, no. We still have to go through the rites of circumcision and observing the law and sacrifices. Paul calls these elemental spirits, spirits of the world. They just attach themselves to people and they seem right, it's noble to do these things because, well, it's all about God. And so people do this and ignore the things that you can be free from. But the old life, the baggage, the religious spirits, curses that people had, people who came out of alcoholic families, I did. Out of families of discord, I did. Out of all kinds of situations like you and I both did. We came to the Lord. We find ourselves having trouble adjusting to some people. Well, why? Isn't Christ in you and Christ in me? Hey, if Jesus is in you and Jesus in me, what could be the difference? The way we think. The way we think. Didn't Paul say that we're to sacrifice ourselves and be renewed in our minds be no longer like the world. That's what messed us up. But be transformed. I'm not talking about being born again. He said being transformed. You're born again. And now that you're born again, I want you to be transformed. He's not writing to ain'ts. He's writing to saints. He said, you saints, I want you to be transformed. Just as Paul, in talking about the Holy Spirit, he wasn't talking to unbelievers when he said, since you believe, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because today they say everybody gets that. That's not what the Bible says. But there is a spirit that wants you to think you've already got that and you don't need it. And therefore you leave that out of your life and you can't go anywhere. Oh, you can't. It's a religious spirit. It robs, it cheats, and it steals. It drags you down. But you need deliverance because of the baggage of these old spirits. Remember these words too. It says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested, Jesus. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, if he came to do that, he did it. Now, he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. As I came to destroy the works of the devil, you do it too. 
You're going to find there are situations in your life that you will need to deal with, and God will open your heart and eyes to see things if you just will. Where'd the devil come from? How do we get a devil in the first place? Do you suppose that the devil was created? He is our adversary. Didn't Peter write, he said, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, or like a roaring lion walketh about? Where'd the devil come from? Maybe we need to find out where he came from. He's called in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he's called the serpent who beguiled Eve. And the serpent that beguiled Eve in the Garden of Eden was already there when Adam was made or before Adam was made. So how did he get here if he's already made? Because serpent's not a good word for anybody. You never heard of a kid named serpent. It's just not a good word. It doesn't define anything good. Nine times in the book of Samuel, the word Belial is used. And Belial, depending on how you define it, means extreme wickedness. And that's what the devil's called. Well, how did he get here? Did evil like that come into the world because of Adam? Because he was already here when Adam was made. Huh. Paul said talking about people who cannot receive the word. In 2 Corinthians 4, in verse 4, he said, whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Would you say that unbelief is the work of the devil? Would you? Of course you would. And it's the work, he said, whom the God, G-O-D, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of them that believe not. As we've looked often in Ephesians chapter 2, we talk the prince of the power of the air. He's called that. Jesus in John 12 called him the prince of this world. So the devil has these titles that he is a ruler, that he has authority, and that he does terrible things to whomever he can do it to. And he roams about, the Bible says, like a roaring lion. And he is looking for whoever he can so that he can corrupt them or spoil or rob or deceive or mislead or to take away from you the joy of what Jesus promises and make it of no effect to you. That's his work. That's what the devil does. He's called the tempter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5. So where did he come from? Well, turn to Colossians 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Now, he's speaking of Jesus, the one in verse 15 who is the image of the invisible God. Boy, I'd like to teach on that. Did you know that Jesus is a visible representation of the invisible God? Now, think about this for a minute. Let me mess up all your school books. If Jesus is a visible representation of the invisible God, as the Bible says. And God created man in his image. Then the first man did not look like a caveman. And Geico might have it right. So that the first man, Adam, did not look like somebody real hairy, stooped over, carrying a club and grunting. 
He was an intelligent creature who was given the rule to watch the garden and, and to keep the garden. From his rib, God made a woman. She was very similar to him, a different uh, structure, but the same visage. And this is what they look like. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what the Father made looks like me. That's why you look like me. We're human beings. But anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in in case your books in school said that the first man was some kind of a monkey-looking creature. I do believe in monkey-looking creatures somehow found in rocks and holes and in layers of rock along with a lot of things that people find in rocks. I'm not so sure God didn't put all that stuff in rocks so heady people can have something to write about and talk about. But that's my simple mind. You'll just have to forgive me of that. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. There was nothing created that was not created by him and for him. Who did this? Jesus. Jesus, who made the heavens and the earth. Bible talks about it. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And the Bible says he made all things. Everything that is, he made it. Would that include the devil? Actually, he didn't create the devil. He created an angel. Because what he created, didn't he say it was good? So we didn't create anything evil. What he created was an angelic host. They would be called ministering spirits. God had a plan for all of this. And he made it with these things in mind. And when he made these, his purpose was that these would be used in him bringing to pass on this earth his plan for man. Nothing was made that was evil. But now things happened with him. And there's two places in the Bible in the Old Testament that tells us about the origins of the devil. It's generally agreed as being where the devil and his origins began. Most scholars accept these two places, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, that these passages show us where the devil came from and what happened to him that made him evil. Let's look at that for just a minute. And I'm sure you've been here before. If you've studied this subject before, you've seen that. Let's look at Ezekiel 28 first. In Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, I believe the writers of Ezekiel and Isaiah were referring to worldly rulers and worldly kings and kingdoms when they wrote these things. They were showing how corrupt these kings were like the king of Tyre, he says in, in Ezekiel 28 verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God. Now, then I believe he begins showing us how bad and how wicked the king of Tyrus is by showing us what happened to the devil and how bad it came with him. Watch. Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, what's going to be said here could not apply to any human king. There's no human being that these things could be true for, but you'll see what happens to these invisible kingdoms here. Verse 13, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. 
Is that the beginning? He said, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, and the workmanship of thy tabarets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast what? So we're describing here somebody in the Garden of Eden who was created, who was glowingly beautiful. All right? Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. No human king could ever say that. So we're talking here about a spirit being in another realm. Remember Colossians 1 talks about visible and invisible. There are kingdoms that are visible. We're in one. There are kingdoms that are invisible. It's there. We can't see it. There are creatures that are invisible because we're told that where the name of the Lord is spoken, that there are angels in their midst. Well, they're here. You can't see them, but they're here. And we're also in the visible realm where we can see what we see. And he goes on in verse 15, thou wast perfect. That means created perfect, not evil. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now, he goes on down through here and describes some more things about that. Let me ask you a question. When was he cast out? And where was he cast to? All right, now I want you to go to Luke 10 and Revelation 19. And while you're turning over there, if you can think and turn, why was the devil cast out of heaven? This one who was created beautiful, the covering cherub. There was no other created being in the angelic host like him. Why was he cast out? Two things. Iniquity was found in him, and he sinned. Did not Jesus in John 8 refer to the devil once that he sinned from the beginning? But before he sinned, he was not evil. Well, y'all think about that for just a moment. Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. Jesus has sent his disciples out, that first commission that we talked about earlier. And he told them to raise the dead and cast out demons and heal the sick and so forth. Now they return from that mission. And they came back to him. And how were they acting when they came back? Did the Bible say they were rejoicing? You know, what if he sent a couple of us out and he told us, and they said, I give you power over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. Now you've never experienced that before. But he told you to go out, and you go out, and lo and behold, you run up on, because he'll see that you do. Make sure that they're in your path. You come upon somebody that's sick, about to die, and you lay hands on them, bam, they're healed. What do you say to each other? Somebody just died? Well, come back to life in Jesus' name, and bam, they come back to life. What would you do? What would you and I do? Watch out, church. We're going to have a meeting when I get there. 
And then heal the sick and raise the dead, freely receive, freely give. And, and you came back, whoa. And I met Caleb and Isaac. They came back. How'd y'all do? Oh, man, we raised five. Five? Five? What'd y'all do, drink coffee all day? Five? How many did we get? Partner, 50? About 50. Y'all heal the sick? Oh, man. We came into this little village. I bet we healed, what, 26 people? 20? Excuse me, 20? And what y'all do? Read magazines all day? Eat candy bars and read magazines? 20? How many did we get, buddy of mine? 40? Did you count them? Let me see the book. 46 of them. <laughs> now, it doesn't say that happened, does it? It just simply says they came back. I'm reading into this, so you don't have to accept this. But there's a reason why Jesus said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, he'd already fallen. He wasn't up there trying to stay up there. And these guys come out and say, come out of him. And watch the devil fall. And I get this one. Come out of him. Watch the devil come, come up. Raise him there. Whoa, is the devil falling yet? No, well, let's keep it. That it worked. Jesus saw him fall, didn't he? He was there when he fell. Why did he fall? He said iniquity was found in him, didn't he? And he sinned. He acted on his own. And the Bible said he sinned. And God said, I'll cast you out of the mountain of God. That place that God dwells, you're out. And Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. And I think he's warning these disciples. Don't get puffed up and thinking you are something because the last person, you know, the last angelic being that I saw who thought he was something more than everybody else, he didn't last long. Remember he said in Luke chapter 10, when you've done all you're supposed to do, you're still an unprofitable servant. Hey, we're here to learn and to receive what isn't ours. But what we receive that comes from him glorifies him. We've got no boast. When we start boasting and putting a name about it and calling attention to ourselves, we're playing into the devil's hands because we're robbing God of his glory. And he said he won't share his glory with anybody. So he said, I saw Satan's lightning fall from heaven. Well, if the devil came down, well, then where did demons come from? Doesn't the Bible talk about evil spirits? Well, where did they come from? Did he make a bunch of them when he got here? No. Revelation 19. Revelation 19 and verse 9 tells you where the devil's demons came from. Who got cast out? Revelation 12, 9. And his angels were cast out with him. Then it appears that before he was cast out, his beauty was impressive to all the angelic creatures. Isn't that right? that they were so impressed by him that they followed him in his rebellion. Now the question comes up. So you're telling us then that angels can sin. Well, you're not far from the book of Jude. Go back to the book of Jude. Look at verse 6 on 6th Avenue of Jude. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Why? He hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. 
If that's not good enough, just keep going back. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that what? Well, in that first beginning, when the angelic host was created and became, could they sin? Let me tell you something. God didn't make them to sin. God made them perfect. God made them perfect, but they sinned. Because apparently there was a time, and we're in over our head at this point because we don't have any Bible for this. But apparently they sinned because they followed something that was wrong. And the only thing wrong that I read of in the garden or in the mountain of God at creation was the devil. Because the Bible said he was from the beginning a sinner. He was the first sin, the author of sin, the promoter of sin. And anything else that sins follows him and what he's doing. So these angels, these angelic hosts that left their first estate, it says here, but cast them down to hell and delivered into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. I do believe there are angelic beings who during the flood were more wicked and vile than maybe other angels were. So wicked and so vile that the rest of humanity and history would not do well if those kind of creatures were allowed to do that. I think they were reserved and held into a great judgment at the end. Now, I don't understand all of that. I'm just saying this is the way it appears to me to be. But there are multitudes of these angels that fell and, and came with Satan. And these are called unclean spirits in the Bible. They're called demons. We call them demons. These angels took on the nature of their leader, Satan. He was an imposter and a fraud. He was a seducer, a cheat, a lie. He was a sinner. He was the epitome of sin. Now look at Isaiah 14, the other account. That the Bible gives us uh, the probable origin of Satan. Chapter 14 and verse 12 and following. We won't read all of this, but it goes on to the end of the chapter. But beginning in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now, there's no human being that could do this. The king of Babylon that he's talking about here, the human king. While the prophecy is historically addressed to this Babylonian king and the king of Tyre, they're simply contrasted how bad they were with how bad the devil is because that's who's behind what they're doing. In verse 13, For if thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Pride. Pride. This ambition to be more than God. This independence of God, of making of yourself something that you cannot be, but thinking that you can, is the work of the devil. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now we know that that is a reference to his fall and being cast out. And then he goes on to the rest of this here and talks about the effects and the residue of all of that. Here's the deal. 
In the beginning, God created angels, perfect angels. These angels, without the Bible describing it, had a chance to do wrong, and they did. They followed their leader. And I believe that Satan, who is the head of his kingdom, when the Bible speaks of thrones and principalities and dominions, I think the thrones is the highest level in the demonic kingdom, as well as thrones are the highest level, period. That's where God is. But in a sense of where the devil is and what he does, the Bible said he will exalt his throne above all the stars of God in verse 13. So we get this picture of an angelic being who had ambition to outdo God, to be bigger than God. He was more beautiful than any other created being. He was admired and followed, and everybody that followed him follows him to the pit or to hell. Demons are well aware of their end. They said to Jesus once, he said, We know thee who thou art. Hast thou come to torment us before the time? Because they know he's going to do that. He's going to put them into the pit. Years ago, there used to be this talk about Jesus dying spiritually, and, and one of the preachers of this thing was describing how when Jesus died and these demons had him down in hell and they were tormenting him down there. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as somebody going into hell tormenting anybody. Even demons said, don't send us there. Send us into those pigs. Don't send us to that place. We know the time is coming. We'll have to go. And we can't do anything about it because we left our first habitation and we can't get back because we're not human beings that can be redeemed. We're angelic hosts that have already failed. The message of redemption is not for angels. It's for men. So they know what their doom is. As the Bible said in the book of Revelation, the devil knows that he has but a short time and he unleashes all of his fury in a dark world to do as much as he can to condemn everybody in this world to bring us all to judgment, to put us all to sleep and make us all indifferent to God so we'll be judged for it because he knows that God draws a narrow line. He knows that. So these demons are creatures, agents of the devil. Their mission through their various operations is to kill and to steal and to destroy. And they do that well. That's what they're called to do. Let me show you something. Turn to Ephesians 6. Satan's kingdom is called a kingdom of darkness. It is an organized kingdom. And there are spirits. We call them evil spirits or demons. These spirits work under the headship of Satan. Now, somebody asked a question once, well, how do demons come into people? This is another subject we'll get to in more detail. But demons come in by consent. They come in by consent. Let me just tell you a brief little quick story you can read about later. In John chapter 13, the foot washing chapter. John 13 begins with this gathering together at the last supper and so forth, right before Jesus died. And the Bible said that the devil now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. This is the way it begins. It begins with a thought, with an idea, with a desire. Something that you surely want to do this. And he put in that thought into Judas's mind. And then Judas began to entertain the thought. We're all subject to thoughts the devil throws at you. 
But Judas began to entertain the thought, 30 pieces of silver, what could he buy? Get a new donkey. Get some new sandals, new skateboard, who knows? You know, he could think of all the things that 30 pieces of silver gets. So, well, the devil might use greed, wouldn't he? Greed, I mean, he was a treasure. Judas was a treasure. And the Bible just said he didn't care about people's needs. He just cared about that money. Was he dipping into there? Probably was. Jesus knew it. He didn't stop him. It'll all come out in the end. And the Bible says the devil put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Just like he puts thoughts into our minds here in this room of things you do you don't need to do and things you ought to do, but you don't do. And he gives you all these nifty little logical thoughts that makes you like the devil. I don't need to do it God's way. Very subtle. The Bible uses the word subtlety. And this is the way subtlety works. It's a very mild little approach to rebellion and makes you think you're doing well when you do it your way. After all, you don't need somebody preacher to tell you what to do. You don't need to go to all these meetings that we have around here. You don't need that. You don't need it. Because you're your own boss. You've already got it figured out your own way. That's the devil. That's the way the devil works. And so he put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And then in John 13 and verse 27, it says this, that after Judas had given some thought to that and made some decisions about that and saw the gain or the advantage for him in doing that, it said, Satan entered into Judas. Is that possible? That an entity who was once in the Garden of Eden, the devil, he came into him. And when he came into him, there was no dramatic change. He didn't start frothing at the mouth and shaking on the ground. He didn't start growling and acting crazy. He came into him and life just continued on. Very subtle, very subtle. But the end of that was suicide. He killed himself because when it was too late, he betrayed innocent blood. And he threw the money down and left and went out and hung himself. What a tragedy, because here's somebody that walked with him, probably sent out and performed miracles with him. Wouldn't he? You think Judas maybe raised the dead? I don't know why he wouldn't. Nobody was excluded from the 12, 11 and a half of you. He didn't say that. Judas raised the dead and healed the sick. He saw miracles we've never dreamed of here. And he went to hell. He betrayed Jesus. Woe to that man, Jesus said. Imagine that. So you can understand maybe why some would say, but Lord, we work miracles in your name. So will the devil. Devil can work miracles. Lord, we prophesied in your name, so can the devil. Whatever captures people's affection, an angel of light can stand in a pulpit and seduce a whole gang of people. People without the word be seduced. So, you know, this business about demons coming into people is very real. Satan is a strong spirit. In Ephesians 6, he talks about these various grades of the demonic kingdom. He said in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood or human beings, but against principalities, 
powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's who we're fighting. You can't see these things. You can see the effects of it. The husband and the wife who don't get along. One of them, if there's just one of them wrong, one of them is not following God. Amen. And if they're both at it, then neither one of them are following God. Now, why aren't they following God? Because something else seems to be more suitable. They go that way. Or why do people get in situations they can't get out of? Because the devil's influence making you think you can do it your way. You don't need to do it God's way. That would be a drag on your life. How would you ever have anything? So you take matters into your own hands. You go your own way. And look what happens. It always comes down to oppression in some form. Oppression. Brokenheartedness. I think Jesus came to set us free from it. But we're intent on being brokenhearted. Oh, no, I want to be brokenhearted. I want to do it my way. Well, you do it your way and do it his way, and, and you know what happens. But there are strong spirits. Like I said, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, he wants to get back. So he sees the advantage, so he takes seven more spirits. They're out there waiting. They're disembodied spirits looking for a body to manifest in. So I don't care if it's gossip or lust pornography, gambling, anything you want to call it that turns you away from the way of God is the work of these spirits. And this one spirit takes seven more spirits worse than himself. And the Bible says they come in and that man is worse off or that woman than they were before. And usually when you're dealing with devils, demons, when one of them names himself, he's usually the doorkeeper or the strong spirit in a person. Remember the gathering demoniac? They chained him with irons. The Bible said he broke the chains. Now, 10 of you men together, you baddest 10 in this room, on a good day with your foot against the wall, yanking at one time, couldn't break that chain. This man broke him by himself because of supernatural demonic strength. And he ran in the wilderness and people were afraid of him. And he growled and he cut himself with stones. It's demonic. And when Jesus came, he said, what is your name? I'll put it in my word. Who are you? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. So there was a lot of spirits in this man. Some of them did nothing more than tell him he needed to cut himself some more. Some said, you need to growl harder. Some said, oh, you poor thing, and you're lonely. And so all of these mournful sounds and this ugly, unclean life, probably naked. You know, when the devil's around, people take their clothes off. His name is Legion, for we're many. And all those demons, when Jesus said, come out of him, all those demons went at a whole herd of pigs. One per pig. I don't know how many pigs are out there. Or four or five of them got there at the same time. One pig might have four or five demons in them. And what the devil does is kill, steal, and destroy. And these pigs just ran over the cliff and killed themselves. Because the devil's like that. There are strong spirits that rule people's lives. Sometimes religious spirits are very hard to get out of people. Homosexual spirits are not easy to get out of people either. But from all the various kind of backgrounds that we all come out of, everybody needs to consider, am I still affected by things in my past?
I may need to sit down and go through some things and see if we can't deal with this. Because we got an organized kingdom that we're facing. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Remember Colossians 1, 16 again, thrones, dominions, principalities or powers. Turn to Colossians 2. Because he uses these words again like this in verse 15 about Jesus. And having spoiled principality. Now, spoiled doesn't mean spoiled children. You know what spoiled means, don't you? To rob and to make less of. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, did he spoil principalities and powers or not? Who did? Jesus did. Why? That's what he came to do. Let me ask you a question. Are principalities and powers still on this earth? Do you not have to deal with them too? Then as the Father has sent me, so send I you. I'm going to throw this out and get off the subject because this is another subject. But you know when Jesus is coming? When you put his enemies under your feet. You can think about that. You find that in the Bible if you look for it. You put his enemies under your feet. Amen. First Peter 3. And while you're back there, I'm going to read a verse to you. This verse here, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. If Jesus has been raised up, seated in heavenly places with the Father, where are we seated? Colossians 2, 6, with him. What's under our feet? The same devil he defeated is under your feet. That is what the Bible describes as has happened. That may not have been experienced yet by you, so you've got it to do. You've got to experience it. You've got to put that same devil under your feet. Get him out of your house, out of your life. Clean yourself up, not controlled by anything, at peace with God, walking joyfully with God every day. No demonic influence in your life whatsoever. Didn't Jesus say that he hath no place in me? Okay, the Bible also says, as he is, so are we. If he had no place in Jesus, he has no place in me. Now, I can say that, and it might not be. But if I take that to heart and study that and look at that, I examine myself to see if there's any such thing in me that is keeping me from walking the way I'm supposed to. And I want you all to know that your life can become very dismal. You can decline through the years and be less than you should be now because you've been given place to stuff you shouldn't give place to. The basic thing we give place to is this world. The greed and the lust for things, the eyes and the pride of life, the very things that brought sin on this world, the very things that are getting us quiet, calm down, maybe socially acceptable. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 22 concerning these same principalities and powers and so forth. Who has gone into heaven, that's Jesus, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject to him. There's nothing left out here of all the demonic kingdom 
The devil and all that he's done, can do, has done, is able to do. There is nothing left out here. Jesus is over all of it. There was a time in the Bible when a spirit, an evil spirit, came before the Lord for one purpose was to deceive a king of Israel, the northern tribe. His name was Ahab. And these demons, the Lord said, who will cause Ahab to fall? And this one spirit came up and he said, I can do it. He said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Now, where do you think lying spirits come from? He said, go. He didn't send it, but he said, you go and you do that. And he did. And that happened. And Ahab died in that battle by an aimless arrow shot into the air. They were just fighting, going everywhere. And so I just went, just let an arrow fly aimlessly through the air. And it came right under the man's chin, just barely missed his chin, right in the top of his armor down into his heart. Killed him. Because the wages of sin, my friends, is death. And the wages of rebellion is sin. And the wages of sin is death. And like James 1 says, sin comes as a thought, as an idea, something neat, something cool, something you really want that makes you be what you want to be. And you give attention to that thought. And the Bible says, James says, when sin is conceived, it becomes death and you die. Maybe dead while you're walking through the earth, no longer bothered by anything spiritual in your life. Maybe you're hooked up into some dead religious system because there's a religious spirit in you that doesn't want any more than just a Sunday morning meeting. You're content with whatever you got, whatever degree it is, who, who knows? And it's killing you. And the devil comes in like a thief. And he robs and he kills and he maims and he destroys God's people. When I say to you, I'm tired of this happening, especially under my watch, watching so many people, instead of dealing with the devil and standing their ground and using their faith, just sit down and cry and whimper and whine and give up. I'm not pointing out anybody doing that, but folks, we're warriors. We're supposed to fight a good fight of faith. We have a sword. We have a shield. Jesus said this shield of faith overcomes all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I think myself, I'm not doing something right. I'm leaving something out. Or people can't sit here and die. If they're going to die, I'm going to quit. I don't want anybody dying on my watch. I don't want everybody just giving up. I want everybody to go to heaven. See, it's a serious life because all of you are a living testimony. And what Jesus is, he should be seen for that in us, overcomers, strong in the Lord, and so on and so forth. We'll begin next time. We'll go back to the evil spirits and show you how they're specialized in the various things that they do in the Bible and how they manipulate, how they malign, how they destroy people's lives. Then you measure yourself to make sure this isn't happening in your life. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we do pray that we would be the recipients of that first message that Jesus brought. That not only would we be forgiven of our sins, but that we might be delivered from brokenheartedness and sadness and sorrow and weeping 
and loneliness and despair. That we might be delivered from bondage, the things that control us, the things that hold us back. From the mental conflicts that we have, the anguish that we experience. That we might be loose from these cages of doubt and unbelief that so many are bound in. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you might gather here into this place a bunch of people who are getting free. You said, you shall know the truth, to know it. And that truth, you said, will make us free. May that begin to work in our lives. May we begin to see some fruit, Lord, in the days ahead. For I ask you to not only be merciful to us, but to be gracious also. I ask it in Jesus' name. And all the believers said, Amen. Amen. God bless all of you. Amen.